And it's so good to see those that, um, you know, Brian's been so faithful to that ministry. And, um, and to go in, you know, I know three Tuesdays out of every month now, at one time he was going all four, but there's more ministers that go now, so he has split time. But uh, he's been so faithful to that. And, um, and it's just a blessing to see uh, God use him uh, to reach those, you know, who are who are in, um, you know, in a time in their life where where they probably feel like there's no hope. And with gospel, there's always hope. And and so, so just pray for him to um, to give him strength to continue that ministry. And uh, and so here, Galatians six, starting in verse six, it says this: Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will uh, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity... Let us do good for everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, verses 6 and 7 is where we'll, we'll start off uh, with those. And, you know, you first have to, to, if you'll notice that the teaching of the Word is part of the gathering. So as we gather that, that we're to teach the Word, you, you can see that that's apparent. This verse also shows the relationship of the one taught the Word and the one who teaches. Can you tell that there is this honor, this respect to those who teach the Word, those who receive the Word? And, and, and I'm not just speaking of you know, the pulpit. And I'm not just speaking of the Sunday school teachers. This goes hand in hand. This is, this is supposed to be a partnership. You know, if, as we enter into this gathering of saints, that each saint responsible, responsible for devotion to the Lord, responsible for study in the Word, and that each saint can give, can offer to other saints. And, and that, that's really, I believe, where the heart of this is, is that this isn't just speaking of the elder. The, this isn't just speaking of those that are... That maybe the, looked at as the main teachers, but that we have to have a reverence for the taught word is that this is I give, you give. That, that we have to look at it that way. That for too long, too many churches have looked at it as this way of, you know, I can remember growing up and, and after service, you know, you, you know, you get to the family gathering and, and the meal and, you know, how was the service? Well, how was the music? How was the preaching? But, you know, it's never discussed, right? How is the listening? It was never discussed is, how was my living? How, how much did I listen? How well did I listen? And, and how well am I going to live what was preached? That's usually not discussed. It's just the amount of time spent on the sermon. How, how well the, the preacher could tell a story or not. How good the music sounded. No matter, no matter if it's what, 
did I sing with all of my heart? Or, or what I sing, do I live it out with all of my heart? That's usually not what gets talked about, is it? You know, the one receiving the Word should know that what is given is more valuable than any earthly thing. Is that how we approach this? That, that I know that what I'm given is, is more valuable than anything else that I can put my finger on. The one receiving the Word should know that the one teaching the Word has spent hours with God and in His Word, her Word, learning it, communing with God over it, years pouring into the Word. And just as a mother will nurse her infants, the teacher freely gives the spiritual nutrients that the hours spent in the Word and in prayer that they freely give. That we'll talk about that sermon's too long, that 45 minutes, it felt like so long, but you have no clue how much time was spent compacting that into the 45 minutes. How many hours go in laboring over what to say in the moments that we have? The teacher freely gives the spiritual nutrients that spend hours and days and maybe sometimes weeks to prepare. I think about three different relationships, you know, that, that we have to make sure that we just don't, we have to see this in our lives that, that there are going to be, that we need a teacher, that we need someone to disciple us, that we need students. That we need someone to disciple. And that we need brothers and sisters. We need someone to sharpen us and we sharpen them. That we need to seek that out. We spoke of, uh, this was spoken of in Sunday schools. We were watching uh, this morning one of the videos that we talked about and how, and how these relationships should work and how many times, you know, I feel like that this was so true that we don't let the walls down. So many times the relationships in the church are just formalities, aren't they? We see them, you know, and we might see each other a lot, but have we let the walls down? Do we, do we allow people in to see when we're most vulnerable? Do we allow people to share in our suffering? And do we seek people out to share in theirs? How much time do we spend really thinking about our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? How we can help them out? What we can do for them? How we can pray for them? Asking them, what is it that you need me to pray for you about? What is it that you're struggling with? Do they trust you enough to tell you? Do they, do they have that relationship with you that they can trust you? That, that they can let you in on their deepest and darkest struggles? What pains them most? There's so many misconceptions I feel are made about this verse. About sharing all good things with the one who teaches. Some people just equate this verse to someone paying the preacher or giving nice material things to the preacher or teacher. Sharing all good things is not just a monetary or monetary value or material things. Is what it, it's not just speaking to that, but also, and more so, I believe, love and encouragement. 
I think so much, you know, that there is such a struggle in each one of us, not just the pastors. I know definitely the pastors. It's hard sometimes, you know, because um, to feel like I can get up here and, and preach to fellow saints who I feel like so many times do it better than I do. You know, when I, when I think about, I was just looking at this past week, just looking at my selfishness, selfishness, Miss Glenda. And I, and I look at, at so many people in this church that are so much more selfless than I am. That give so much. You know, I just, you know, these two men here, um, you know, because I, I get to really see them and how much they give of their time and their energy to other people. And, um, and so it's hard sometimes to, to step up into this pulpit when you know you're not worthy. And to say some of the things that you know you've got to say. This, this verse also tells us that God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will He also reap. Whatever you put in the ground is what's going to be harvested. Whatever time you put in, whatever thing that you put in your most energy, your money into, I believe our natural tendencies make us to believe that God gets it wrong. We do believe that, don't we? Our natural tendencies, we believe that God makes mistakes. That why is it that, you know, I try so hard and, and I try to do good and all it gets me is. Isn't that what we say? Isn't that the way that we live so many times? That, that we live with this, this kind of uh, nature within us that looks at what other people have and you're like, why did God bless them with this? Why is my road so hard? And so we got the, that um, struggle, I believe, within us that kind of looks at our situation as a lot of times worse than other people's. Sometimes we think God might need, need our help in knowing who is real and who's not. Those who are sowing discord and those who are sowing bad seed or bad doctrine for personal gain. Those who preach against Christ or preach a different gospel than the gospel of the Bible. They will reap what they sow. They will. But a lot of times we want vengeance and justice to be served Unless, of course, that it's us that deserve it. We, don't, we only want grace when it benefits us, right? But yet a lot of times, so many times when it's us that needs to give grace, we want vengeance. That's when we want God to pour out His wrath is when, when it's us in the situation where we got done wrong. We want God's wrath to be poured out. But yet, when it should be us under the wrath, that we want grace. We are called to give grace and let God disperse His vengeance. It's His vengeance. This can be hard. Um, it can be hard with our human nature. And many times it puts us in conflict with the Word of God. 
You know, but here in this verse, we're reminded that God will give accordingly and no one is going to get away with anything. Do you believe that, church? God will not be mocked. It was so sad to see what we saw yesterday in Jackson because there were those who were trying to drown out the Gospel message as it was being preached. And I pray that by God's grace that those eyes will be open. But do not get it wrong, church. God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. And those who spread lies about Him and those who preach a, a different Gospel and those who you know, might make millions and billions of dollars now out of greed and corruption, God will not be mocked. He will not be. No one is getting away with anything. We will reap what we sow. And verse 8 clearly defines that what we sow, that we should sow not to the flesh, but rather to the things of the Spirit. It says in verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now I found this little poem that said this, Sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. And sow a character and you reap a destiny. And you know, I thought about that poem and, and my, my first thoughts, it was negative. You know, I was thinking about me. I was like, man, I think about the bad thoughts that I have and what that can lead to, right? A bad thought leads to a bad act and a bad act that can create a bad habit, right? And a bad habit, next thing you know, that's your character. That's who you are. It seeps down deep. And then that leads to a destiny. But then, but then I started thinking, well, you know, that works the other way too. Because those thoughts on godly things, well, that leads to godly acts. And that leads to godly habits. And that leads to godly character. Sowing the wrong seed though. You know, um, the story goes of uh, this farmhand. You know, his, the, the landowner told him to go and you know, sow some barley. Well, he decides instead of sowing barley, he's going to sow some oats and instead. And he's like, barley will come up. So he sows the oats and oats come up. And of course... The landowner, he goes and he checks on the field and when he sees that there's barley and no oats, he has specifically told his farmhand to sow barley and he sees oats. And he tells the guy, like, why? Why are there, why are there oats here? I specifically told you to sow barley. And the farmhand was like, well, I kind of thought, you know, if I sowed one, you know, if I sowed oats, barley would come up. He's like, that's crazy. Why would you think that? And then the guy said, well, I got the idea from you, sir. He said, well, what made you think of that? He said, I've been watching the way that you live. And I've noticed that even though you're constantly sowing seeds of evil, you're expecting to be reaping fruits of virtue. I think that's how so many people live. It's kind of how we live with, you know, we do that with our Bible, don't we? I mean, y'all think about this for a moment. Have you ever struggled in your spiritual life and you can't wonder why? 
you kind of wonder, like, why is it that I struggle with this sin over and over and over? You know, I, I get in conversations with young people all the time. I'm like, you know, they're struggling. They're like, I can't get over this sin. I can't. I'm struggling with this sin. I'm like, well, how much are you? How much are you praying? How much are you reading your Bible? I've been kind of slacking. What do you expect? Do we really expect to be able to fight against the enemy when we've laid down our sword? When we quit listening to God and we quit speaking to God? That's how He speaks to us, right? Through His Word. We've cut off conversation with God and we're expecting what? Do we expect to defeat this sin? How? We've cut ourselves off. From the one who can give us the grace to fight it. Yeah, you know, I, I I was uh, watching you know the Ebenezer Scrooge lately. We were watching it uh, one of the cartoon ones, and um, you know I was I was kind of I love that story because th- there's so much good meaning in it. You know, you see this man he's so caught up with greed, and then you know it's a it's a heart jerker. You know what I mean at the end that this. You know, here this man, he's seen his past, present, future, and he has this change of heart. And, um, you know, it's what you want in every movie. You want this bad guy to have this change and him to be good. And, you know, but he had sowed so much corruption, right? And he saw, you know, you see in the scenes that, you know, they were showing him what his end would be, right? In chains, in death and chains. This is what you've made of your whole life and this is what you have. This is what you have to show for it, is these chains. But as the story kind of came to a close and you saw this change in Ebenezer Scrooge and he gets up Christmas Day and he's just giving everything away. I started thinking about how, how so many times we view the Gospel through fairy tales, storytellers. Like human storytellers. Because how many people think more that that's the gospel rather than what the Bible says. Because the world sees it like, you know, yeah, this man's been bad, but now he can, he can make up for it. right? He can make up for lost time by just giving things away, by making this change of heart, and he can go from bad to good. There's so many times that, you know, that, that we feel like it's the good that we do, so we can outweigh the bad and we can do good. And that's how so many people think the Gospel is. But that's not the Gospel. The Gospel is is that the Bible teaches clearly is that we are evil. That's our nature. So the reason why we struggle with sin is because what is deep down inside of us is a nature to want that and desire that. But what God has done, what God has done is He has offered His Son He's given His Son to take our place. He's poured out His wrath on, on His Son and His Son willingly chose to give up Himself to go to the cross to take our place. The Gospel is, is that we don't deserve it, but yet He gave it anyway. So we're, we're not the hero at the end of the story. He is. He's the hero. And we're, we are the ones begging for His mercy and grace. We're the ones that get to be showered with it. That, that we've all lost our way. 
and that God has to be the one to show us the way. This was true of a 30-year-old Mississippi resident convicted of uh, felony drunk driving resulted in getting a 15-year sentence, prison sentence. The judge then suspended 14 years of the sentence if the man would honor the terms of a one-year house arrest. This really happened. So he was going to get a one-year house arrest. The trade-off was simple. Stay home and stay out of trouble for one year instead of going to prison for 15. But the man didn't like to be cooped up. He went on a fishing trip. Gets arrested and the judge threw him in prison. The fishing trip cost him many years of freedom. That's human nature, right? Can't see the forest for the trees? We get so caught up, right, in the moment. That's when we sin. We, we're just, we are just like, don't think that you would have done it any better than Adam and Eve. Do not think that for a second. And what made their act so vile is the same thing that made Judas's act so vile. I mean, he sells our Savior for 30 pieces of silver. The Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. That Adam and Eve gave up everything because they wanted to be in control of what they believed was good and evil, right? It wasn't as much about the fruit as it was the command, as it was them saying, no, we're going to choose to do it our way and not God's way. We're choosing our way over God. That's what they were doing. But the act of biting the fruit is they were saying, it's my way, it's not God's way. It's my way. We're going to decide. They were playing God. And that's what we do. That's what our human nature calls us to do. Our nature is, of course, simple, and we desire simple things. The more that we feed into that desire, the greater the desire becomes in it. I mean, have you ever, if you can put yourself back in that position, do you remember you when you were so trapped in sin? So trapped in sin. And the more that you took part in the sin, the greater the desire and the harder it was, it was taking hold of you, wasn't it? It's putting his grappling hooks into you. The harder it was because the desire becomes greater. The only cure for this is truth. It's to be revealed in us that sin leads to utter ruin. And it's not good but evil. Do we really believe that? That God must give us the ability to see our hopelessness and the knowledge that only He can satisfy our appetite. That we have to see that, that only God can satisfy that hole that is in, inside of us, that we're born with, that needs Him, that needs to be fulfilled. That we are lonely without Him, that we're miserable without Him, that only He can satisfy that. Although knowledge is only useful if it's put into practice. In fact, knowledge without putting it into practice makes you miserable. Knowledge that isn't practiced will bring madness. To know what you are to eat, to be healthy, if you know what you got to eat to be healthy, and then you don't eat it, and you remain unhealthy, it's twice as bad. Isn't it? I mean, think about that. Ignorance can be bliss. But if you know, if you know what you got to eat to be healthy, 
and that you continue to eat what's bad is good for that moment, isn't it? It is good. But then, if you're struggling with your health because of it, then it is misery at the same time, isn't it? How can something be good and miserable at the same time? That knowledge. If you didn't, if you didn't know that, that all this unhealthy food caused all these problems, every time you ate, it'd be what? Bliss. Right? Eat a good meal, ain't got to feel bad about it. This isn't having any effect on any of this, right? I can eat whatever I want. But we know, don't we? That knowledge is what makes it so bad is that we know it. Brother Tony talked about this morning the law, the, Mo, the law of Moses. Without the answer, what is it? It's just condemnation. Without the answer, the answer is Jesus Christ. The appetite of the Spirit, it works in a similar nature as the flesh. In that the more that you feed the Spirit, the more the Spirit wants to be fed. I hope you've been there. That the more that you read, guess what? Guess what you'll find yourself doing? You'll say, well, I'm going to read a chapter. Or I'm going to read two chapters. And you'll start reading. And then next thing you know, you don't want to put it down. That, that appetite for the Spirit, the things of the Spirit that God has given you is real. That you start praying and you don't want to stop. Likewise, to have the knowledge of salvation and the things that God can drive one mad if the knowledge is not practiced. Have you been there, people of God, that you have been saved, that you've been shown the knowledge of what, you've, what you have, but you're not practicing that? That's a miserable person. I've been there so many times where, you know, I feel like I've, I've been given this knowledge, but yet I'm not, I'm not living my life to the fullness of what God has for me. The Bible says, it says it here in verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's one of the reasons why it's so hard to go to the clinic like we did yesterday. You go to the clinic, you see, you see total depravity of the world. You see hopelessness at that clinic in Jackson. It's so hard because we have to face it. We have to look at it eye to eye. People that will willingly tell you, I don't want what you have to offer. I don't want to listen to you. And they'll, they'll blare music, like very unholy music, at you while you're trying to tell them. That can feel like hopelessness. That can feel like wasted time. There's so much that we do that can feel like wasted time. But it says, do not grow weary of doing good. See, those in it for the wrong reasons, not held by the grace of God, they'll flake out when persecution comes. When it gets hard, they'll flake out. We've seen it time and time again. It's tough when, when troubles and persecution comes. It's tough to keep doing good when everything seems to be going against you, doesn't it? You're swimming against the current. 
In due season means that it's God's timing. And what we will reap is exactly, it's exactly what we need from God. Even the heartaches, they're exactly what you needed at that time. Every bit of it, God's timing. Those who wait patiently on the Lord will keep the faith that He is sovereign and that He is good. Do you believe that, church? Then that ought to carry us through all the bad times. If you believe that your God is is all good, and if you believe that your God is totally in control, we can rest in that. Can't we? If you believe that, you can get through anything. You can get through anything if you hold on to that. You'll reap the benefits. If Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good, this also means that there will be temptation that causes us to grow weary of doing good things. He knows it's not going to be like roses, is it? He knows it's going to be tough. And He knows that there's going to be times where we feel like giving up and quitting. But He tells the saints, don't grow weary of doing good. In verse 10 it says, so then as we have opportunity, we talked about this word the last time that I spoke. You know, what do you see this? Do you see, do you see the things within this church as a burden or an opportunity? Do you see the things outside of this church as a burden or an opportunity? Do you see the things within your household Do you see your relationship with your spouse? Do you see the relationships with your kids, with your parents? Do you see your job as a burden or an opportunity? He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That excludes no one. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we see service as opportunity or inconvenience? If we live our life to feed our flesh, then it will be hard to see service as anything but inconvenience unless that service brings our flesh pleasure. But if we live our life to feed our spirit, then service will bring joy. Do you believe that, church? If you live this life to feed your spirit, then service is not an inconvenience and it's not a burden. It is a joy. It is a joy every time you get to teach. It is a joy every time that you get to keep nursery. It is a joy every time you get to cook. It it should be. I'm not saying it always is. I'm saying it should be. If we live our life to serve, like Jesus said, that He came to serve and not to be served, if we follow His example if we are following the example of the Christ that we claim to follow, then every opportunity to serve should bring us great joy. Every opportunity that we're living for Christ and we're persecuted is supposed to bring us joy. Every time. Easier said I know than done. But we have to set our gaze on the One, on the Master, on the Lord. We have to follow His lead. We have to. When we live our life in service to one another, it pleases the Father. 
What we do to the least of these, we've done it to Him. We will see service as an opportunity to please the Father. The next time that you go to get your hands dirty, you know what I mean? Just think about this. By serving others, I please my Father. Adoniram Judson, a missionary to Burma, alluded to the eternal impact of sowing and reaping when he wrote this. A life once spent is irrevocable. You only got one, right? It will remain to be contemplated through eternity. The same may be said of each day. You can't get it back, can you? Once this day is gone, it's not coming back. When it is once passed, it's gone forever. All the marks which we put upon it, it will, it will exhibit forever. The mark that you placed on a day, it will be there forever. Each day will not only be a witness of our conduct, but it will affect our everlasting destiny. How shall we then wish to see each day marked with usefulness? It is too late to mend the days that are past. The future is in a power. Let us then each morning resolve. You resolve to do something. You set your mind to it. You set your heart to it. And we need God's grace to carry it out. Resolve to send the day into eternity in such a garb as we shall wish to wear it forever. How you did today, did you wear that forever? And at night, let us reflect that one more day is irrevocably gone, indelibly marked. Church, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Because I, although, although what I preached is, to be honest with you, higher than I can live, it's, higher than I, it's a higher standard. It always is. The Gospel preached is a higher standard that I can live up to. The Gospel preached reminds us this, that Jesus Christ lived it out for us. That He was the one that carried the cross for us. That He was the one that took the wrath for us. And now that, that what we get to do, it should bring us great joy. To be in service to Him, to teach others, to do good to others, to, to find that brother or sister to disciple, to train up in the Gospel, to find that brother and sister that, that can be that iron that sharpens us and we can be the iron that sharpens them, that should bring us great joy. That should be what our life is about. Let us pray. God, my Father, I thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to share Your Word, Father. God, I thank You for this church, God. I thank You, Lord, for their patience, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that um, God, that Your Word will move upon us. God, it would God, run deep in our veins, Father. It would, God, it would leave the mark that You want it to leave upon us, Father. God, that we would be a changed people. God, that we would be a repentant people. That we would be a people that would seek out the truth, God, that we would be diligent in our study, Father, that we'd be diligent on our knees in prayer, God, that we would be diligent to share uh, the truth with others, Father, God, that we would be a people that would love those that come into our church, Father, that would love those 
uh, in and around our community. God, I pray Lord, that you'll bless this ministry that Brother Tony was speaking of. God, that we would, God, that we would get behind that and that we would see that as a great opportunity to serve. It'd be a great opportunity, Father, that that you could give us to show, God, that we care about those around us, Father. And a great opportunity to love you by loving them. God, I pray, Lord, that God, we'd be about your business, Father. And God, that we would live this life with urgency, knowing that we're not promised the next day. And God, that we want to make sure that everyone in our midst knows you. Father, we plead for them. God, I pray, Lord, that we'd be a people broken um, over our sin. And God, that we'd be a people that, that seeks out um, to share your truth with those who, God, to be, to be honest, they're hardened in their sin. And God, they're blind to their sin. God, I pray, Lord, that You would open their eyes like You've opened eyes. And God, that we would have grace and mercy on them, Father. God, that You would show them great grace and mercy, Father, as, you, as You've shown us. We love You and we thank You. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.